So hello everyone, welcome to our Inspiring Thoughts podcast today. We're lucky to have Helen Bailey with us, who's the Head of Learning from Strategy Solutions. So Helen, great to have you on board on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Well, it's uh, it's one of those ones where we spent some time recently and it's just uh, a bit of a no-brainer to have you on here. So that's great. So I really, really appreciate it uh, from today. So uh, in advance, as um, our listeners would know, that our special guests have seven questions given to them so they can prepare and have kind of get so we can really glean that rich knowledge from them on the call kind of today. So um, just to, before we start, though, Helen, would you mind sharing your career history with us, kind of um, where it all started for you? That'd be great. I love the idea of myself having rich knowledge to bring to the party as well. Can I just yeah. say that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've always worked in L&D. So I work for Strategy Solutions. We're a business consultancy. Uh, we focus on, we describe ourselves as being like the Avengers, which I think is a great expression. But what it means is we're kind of experts in what we do. Uh, and we bring that to help businesses from small all the way to worldwide. And my background is learning development. I've always worked in L&D, apart from a small stint as a checkout manager for a very long time ago um, and it, I like to think it's because that is where my passion lies I'm really passionate about learning about how it can be done well um, I've had my own business for 14 years so and I've done a lot of interim work so I've kind of dotted around in a lot of industries so education healthcare distribution I think it's probably easier to talk about the ones I've not worked in yeah so and it's really great to have that breadth isn't it of different organisations and understand cultures and and that just kind of brings that together to help people um, from an L&D point of view, to, from a learning solutions point of view, doesn't it? I think so. And as well, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of interim work. And I think when you do a lot of interim work, you get to do a lot of things that you wouldn't normally get to do, um, yeah. as a, particularly as a learning development person. So during the pandemic, for example, I, I worked in communications because where I was working, there was no L&D, particularly at the beginning. Uh, you know, when we went into that first lockdown. So, you know, I have a bit of a background in communications. I can build SharePoint sites. I can write um, employee engagement surveys. You know, I think those are things that if I'd have been in a traditional L&D role, I, I wouldn't have always had the opportunity to do those things. So, yeah, a few strings to my bow. Yeah, yeah, re- really good. And it's great to have you today. So I really, really appreciate it. So um, let, let's dive into the questions okay. uh, and let, let's see how we go from there. So, when you were uh, kind of growing up or in your career or um, kind of in your life, who kind of inspired you as an authentic leader or from that perspective? Uh, and are you going to use an Avenger to come in? I am not going to use an Avenger. <laughs> uh, you see, the truth is I don't know the Avengers well enough to pick one, if I'm right. really honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going to pick two, if that's OK. And these are probably two people never knowingly in the same room. Um both from Manchester or both very strongly associated with Manchester because that's very close to my heart. Um, So one is Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, It's not a secret to anybody who knows me. I'm a Man United fan. Um, And one of the things for me about Sir Alex, he he was definitely ambitious. He was very bold and courageous from the very first. So he kind of said, you know, we want to knock Liverpool off their perch. And I thought that was quite ambitious at a time where, where the football club was. Um, he was all about evolution, not revolution. So you kind of got this sort of gradual change of the teams as he was going along. And my favourite thing was that the way the team played and, you know, any Man United players and reflecting on this, particularly today after the last night, uh, 
his teams played with a particular amount of flair. So there was a lot of style that went with it. Um, and I really enjoyed that. So if that's one, my other one, it's Emmeline Pankhurst. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty diverse range. Yes, yeah, they yeah. weren't in the Avengers together, were they? Um, and I think what I admire about Emmeline Pankhurst, um, many, many years ago when I was at university, I did my dissertation on women in the 1890s um, on the basis that there was there's a book. Um, it's called The Week of Vessel by Antonia Fraser. And at the beginning, she talks about um, she went to a history conference and uh, she was writing a book. She said, I'm writing a book about women in the 1500s. And the historian said to her, there weren't any women in the 1500s. <laughs> and actually, there was a ruck of women in the 1500s doing amazing stuff. Um, so I think that kind of led me to Emmeline Pankhurst. But, you know, there's a few things I really love about her that kind of really resonate with me probably now more in my career. So, you know, the thing about deeds, not words. Um, I'm very much about uh, and I remember saying to uh, the CEO of strategy um, when I first started Wendy um, I won't talk to you about what I can do I'm going to show you what I can do I'm definitely yeah. more about the action um, I think also this idea of uh, you know let's incite this meeting to rebellion I mean that sounds a bit radical doesn't it um, I've got a t-shirt with it on which I've you know I very rarely wear for work I'll be really honest yeah. But I think it's the idea of let's let's be bold. And I think that's kind of a, you know, reflection on how I've talked about Sir Alex as well. You know, let's let's be bold. You know, if it doesn't work. What do we do? We can do something else. Yeah. You know, so let's be a little bit disruptive. And I think my other thing about Emmeline is I often reflect is how how would she feel about where women are now? Yeah. You know, all this time later um, and, and yet you know i'm i'm working on a lot of things which you know are about supporting women in the workplace at the moment and you know how many women get their ideas appropriated by men all those kind of things and i wonder how she would feel about that now and yet to have that vision that women get the vote yeah. and talk be able to talk about equal pay and all the rest of it in that moment and knowing that she probably wouldn't see that out yeah i mean that's pretty brave isn't it yeah, and, it, and to, to to dovetail on the back of that about being yeah. brave and bold from those two mm. um, uh, people you've mentioned was a real characteristic in their trait, wasn't it, of their time? So two different times, yeah, but yeah, very absolutely. brave, very bold. Um, uh, I don't know as much about Emily Pankhurst as you would know, but I know more about Sir Alex Ferguson. And, and I always remember that he was one game away, I think it was Oxford, from being sacked. And he, and he was really <laughs> bold about we, uh, from that point of view. Um, but he had that self-belief, didn't he? And from and also Emily Pankhurst about self-belief, even though what was going on at that time about self-belief, we can do this and being proactive. They both got those real straight uh, traits in Emily. I think there is something there, you know, about. And I think it's also if I could give that to everybody, if I could wrap that up in a box and give people confidence or self-belief. And I think, you know, they're very much the same street. And I would, because it's, it, you know, we have an expression at strategy, which would be more dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it, it's that kind of, you know, we ask people and, and if they say no, we're OK with it. Yeah. You know, but quite often people don't do that. And, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to say we're really good at something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, because if we are, we are. Yeah. You know, and if we've got the facts to back that up, I'm sure Sir Alex doesn't sit 
at home uh, and, and says, to, says to his grandchildren, oh, I, was, I, was a, I was a bit of a football manager. I'm pretty sure he doesn't say that. You know, I'm pretty much, pretty much that I'm the most successful British manager ever. Yeah. Yeah. And although yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't lay claim to that, I don't have, you know, I'm not the best L&D person ever in the world. I'm sure you will be one day, Helen. I'm sure you will be with all, all trophies behind you. I'm disappointed that you don't think I am now, Stephen, if I'm really honest. <laughs> I have to be careful of our audience, Helen. I have no favourites. Right. I have to be okay. careful. Fair enough. I, have to be I, careful I take that. I take that. <laughs> yeah. So um, how would you describe your leadership style? So what would you uh, say is your style in leadership? Um, somebody once described me as being like the, the late Queen Mother. Um, so so take that as you will Um, uh, and I'll kind of elaborate on that a little bit Um, so what they meant was um, that she was sometimes described as being like an iron fist in a velvet glove Um, so there there was kind of a combination of things you certainly um, the way it was described was you you certainly knew that that there were things that had to be done but the yeah. way it was done was, was yeah. you know, and described. And I, I think that's quite important to me. And I think as I've got further on in my career, I think inclusion's become really important to me. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly the fuzzy edges of inclusion, which I think we're going to come on to with it shortly. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, I'm really interested in what other people think. And because of that, I'm more interested in the conversation about how we do things. Yeah. I've got ideas and... And sometimes I've got too many ideas, you know, I'm quite happy to say, oh, we can do yeah. that, it'll be amazing. <laughs> and somebody yeah. needs to say, actually, Helen, um, <laughs> you need you need to yeah. kind of walk it back a bit. So I think that's, you know, for me, I'm really interested in that. I'm okay with people, people being different. I'm okay with people have different approaches because I'm a bit weird and wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, people being themselves, I think I'm also quite curious um, in terms of I ask a lot of questions. I really need to understand things. Um, I understand that can be a little bit annoying as well because I keep going. So, so why are we doing that? What, what's that? What's all that about? Um, and I think, and this probably goes back to the choice of the people who inspired me. But there is almost a go big or go home attitude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let, let's do it. Let's be brilliant. Why not? And that that would echo with me because I've got this bit of um, it's probably a bit spiritual, but I believe we're on this planet once. Mm. We may as well enjoy it and go for it and give it with best Absolutely. gusto and see what happens rather than get to um, kind of the towards the end of our lives and go, oh, I wish I'd done that. And I wish I'd done this and I could have done that. And so in my life, I want to have no regrets. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's how I look at it um and it's and i've never had anyone describe as the queen mother before so you're definitely first there helen uh, on that position but it's really if you, you kind of go firm but fair but from that perspective um and i also like the bit about being curious because i as i've got older i'm more and more curious and i want to learn and i want to hear from people and people's views may not be and you and i've had conversations before but we may not agree but we can agree to differ and that's really oh, great absolutely. that's a great place to be i think so and i think you know, I think a lot about learning because I do think I spend a lot of time investing in my own personal development because I think it's really important for what I do. Because I think it's really important that when I'm stood up in a room or I'm sat doing a session virtually, that I can bring the latest thinking into it. 
it's not just about you know this week I was running an aspirational women program and I was talking about an article I just read in the Harvard Business Review and I just think you know that role models that for everyone else but I think it also makes what you're talking about it makes it fresh yes because you know I think I have to be enthusiastic so everybody else is yeah and and I think that bit there about um so like keeping it fresh I I, I say the word keeping it current so then mm-hmm. people people can relate that actually you as a learning professional wants to keep getting better keep developing etc um, and also just to share which is one of the great things about leadership sharing visions and stories so people can really relate to rather than just always theories if that makes sense or I have a bit of a thing about this I, I think I know we've talked about this before haven't we that you yeah. and I probably know more full box models than yeah. you know yeah. we can shake a stick at and that's great isn't it but yeah. I'm really interested um, in what that does. What does what does that mean practically for people? I really want people to go away with some practical tools that they can actually use. Yeah, that's what's important to me. So you know, great, we have situational leadership. Let's use that as an example. Okay, what does that mean for you then? What does your team look like? Are you using the right style? You know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, let's talk about those practical things. Yes. That makes yeah. me very happy when we do that. Yeah. And I know you and I got excited before talking about it, about we like people to go away and practice and do things. Yes. With the, with, <laughs> rather than I've learned a load of theories today and I go, well, what, what, what do I do with it? It's actually, right, you can, we can take this. How can you put it into your daily work and mm-hmm. come alive? And I know you and I get a real buzz when we get that light bulb moment to come on. Uh, that, that gives us a real joy, doesn't it? I think so. And Erin, you know, who who works at Strategies, our head of marketing, she posted something this week, actually, about a session that we'd run internally. And, and she kind of said, oh, I had a real light bulb moment. And that kind of just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And I yeah. don't mean that glibly, you know, but genuinely that people have taken that away and they've been able to use it. That's amazing for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and the thing is, it's, it's good to feel warm inside. I think that's a really nice thing, isn't it? Uh, and I think sometimes people when you're doing a training course and it can be quite lonely as a trainer or a kind of facilitator <laughs> but then when you get that bit of feedback you go yeah it's really worthwhile doing and I'm so pleased people have enjoyed it and taken a lot from it isn't it I think so and I think I often say at the end um so you know I'll be delivering a session and then I'll kind of go upstairs um at strategy and they'll say how did it go and I say I don't really know <laughs> because you know you've been in that space all day you do get a feel for it obviously but I don't think you have any perspective on it um sometimes because you've been kind of immersed in the whole experience you know and and sometimes you you don't really have that view and it might not be till a couple of days later you know that you kind of think oh yeah that was really good you know that went down really well or yeah so um, the next question uh, <laughs> to go through on our authentic leadership, um, Helen and I have chatted through before, and um, I suppose this is probably, I think, a good um, question to just talk through or to help educate people a bit more. Mm-hmm. Because if we took over recent years, we've had people being more educated in um, kind of the mental health um, arena and well-being, mm-hmm. etc. We hear a lot more about kind of uh, menopause. Uh, we mm-hmm. hear more about inclusivity. We hear more, okay. but in recent terms and even like with me when someone said to me about neurodiversity I was like oh what what do I do with this now so (laughs) I just thought when you and I had a chat through about Mm -hmm. I hear people using the word neurodiverse I'm not sure they know what it means 
or that. So I thought it would be great today just to get your view on what what is neurodiversity. Uh, this has been one of my sort of passions, and we've just been talking about learning. Um, so what happens to me quite often, and just to give it some context, is I'll kind of read something and it will spark my interest and therefore I will then do a load of more research and then I have to blog and get it all out of my head. Um, and neurodiversity is one of those. Um, I read a book um, which is Neurodiversity at Work, which is by, I'm going to get this wrong, so apologies before we start. It's Amanda Kirby and Theo Smith, I think. But yeah, Neurodiversity at Work. And it just really intrigued me. And particularly in the intention, we have a retention crisis in the UK. You know, 61% of people who are in a job right now will not be in that job next year. Yeah. You know, and we have a retention crisis. And then we have 30 to 40% of people who are neurodivergent are unemployed. And so it yeah. seems to me that there is a whole group of people we could be utilising. And, and that kind of started me on on the path. Uh, and I know I'm not answering your question, so I'm going to come to that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about neurodiversity, it is to do with those indicators which are around the brain uh, and things to do with like social sociability, learning. Um, and if you're talking about dyspraxia, it's that to do with, um, you know, our physical function um, that are outside of what is seen as the societal norm that's probably yeah. the best way to describe it and, and you know we can we can chat about what's normal anyway I mean that's a whole yeah. other thing isn't it um but that's really what neurodiversity is all about and and if we think about that one in seven people in the UK is neurodiverse yeah you know so there there is an element where actually you know if you go around and look at your teams there's going to be somebody in there who's neurodiverse who probably hasn't disclosed because they don't feel comfortable to disclose. Yeah. And I think there's probably a whole thing about the organisational systems and structures that we have in place that doesn't make it easy for people to disclose. And, you know, one of my other favourite stats when I'm talking about inclusion, which I, I spend a lot of my life talking about inclusion, but is that people find conversations about things that are different, hard. Yeah. And because they're hard, we stay away from it. Yeah. And just to just to kind of finish up, really, you know, if we're talking about neurodiversity, that you know, that tends to be around things like autism, um, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, you know, all those ADHD, and and there's loads that I could list, but those are the ones probably we're most familiar with, um, and how people exhibit those in in, in themselves. And just yeah. to think about language as well, neurodiversity tends to apply to a group. Neurodivergent tends to apply to an individual. Um, and I think, you know, the other one that we use is neurotypical, um, yeah. which is somebody who is more seen to be in societal norms. Yeah. And it, I mean, they're, they're scary facts, aren't they? That about nearly a third of, um, let me get my right, neurodivergent colleagues. Uh, neurodiverse because it's a group. <laughs> yeah, new, neuro, sorry, I put it in neurodiverse group <laughs> that are not in work or that. And also from a learning uh, aspect, mm -hmm. isn't it, as well, that, you know, the conventional, and, I, and the thing is now, what is normal? I don't know. There, 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 isn't, there is no normal. It's just about actually how do we be inclusive and help people and work together from that aspect. Um, would yeah. That, would that make sense? It does, absolutely. And I think what the really interesting thing is, is that if you do things to support people who are neurodiverse, you actually support the workforce as a whole. So yeah. why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. 
and yet we are so I don't know I think I think organizations there are some really good organizations there are some medium there's some not so great but it seems that some of the things like interviews they're really you know interviews are fundamentally tend to be the same yeah and yet that can be quite challenging for somebody who's neurodiverse you know I think is it um one of my stats is 53 percent of organizations have not adapted their recruitment processes for people who are neurodivergent wow so, you know, so uh, they're already set up to fail. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And if people see that, you know, I think people are very good at getting a handle on what the norm is in the organisation. I think you can certainly see that in an interview. Then that makes people even more unlikely to disclose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that's the bit then of conforming or imposter syndrome, except that kind of moving into that kind of part of what if that's the norm I won't share kind of um what kind of I'm going through all my learning or my start etc uh, and I always remember uh, which is before kind of neurodiversity words etc mm-hmm. um kind of came to light as in more the forefront and I always remember a stat that many many years ago that the average reading age of an adult in the UK is in a, a, as equivalent as an 11 year old yeah but most people write documents or processes, procedures, etc., to a high level, which people just don't get, don't understand, can't relate to. So it's just about how people are alienated, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's about excluding people from an organisation. And um, I listened to a podcast a few weeks ago, which is the What If podcast from the CIPD, and it was um, What if everybody brought their authentic selves to work? And there was a really interesting comment in there about just conforming off. And I've been thinking about that quite hard. What does that mean? And, and you know, how much do I have to conform? As somebody who comes from the weird and wonderful tribe, um, not from a neurodiversity perspective, I'm just a little bit um, quirky. Let's go for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just do enough to conform. You know, is that just enough to come to get by? And then we start to think about the emotional energy that that kind of takes up from people. You know, when we talk yeah. about masking and and, you know, people can't do their best work if they're masking. Yeah. Because they don't have enough energy left to do their best work. They can probably do just enough. Yeah. Yeah. And um, kind of moving on from that point. Of, so how would we support? So as a leader or how could we support kind of um, colleagues that are neurodiverse? How could we help from that aspect? What could leaders do to make things better, Helen, or support colleagues better? I have a great slide when I talk about this. And the heading is a colleague tells you they're neurodivergent. (laughs) Things to do, things not to do. Yeah. So much of it is individual specific. And I think what we do quite often is, oh, that person's got autism. Therefore, we need to do this, this and this. And so much of this is about having a conversation with the person and about the way you have that conversation with the person. You know, so I think let's not stereotype people. Yes, good. You know, that's the first thing. Let's have a conversation. And also, if somebody tells you then you're a divergent, let's let's thank them for sharing that, because that probably yeah. took a lot of courage to yeah. come to that conversation with you. Let's ask them about 
what what's the positive aspects of it and what what's a bit more challenging I think it's important to ask about the positives yeah. you know there is certainly a lot of research that talks about you know people with autism have high attention to detail for example and they are being actively recruited yes. by engineering firms and, and air traffic control because yeah. obviously all those things require a higher level of detail and I think too often we, we talk about oh the challenges of that or they need a quiet space or we can't you know yeah. we, we we can't have all these group meetings and we can't do all those lovely icebreakers because you know people feel uncomfortable with it let's talk about all the positive stuff yeah. you know there's there's a great argument that people who have diverse um colleagues in their team they get better ideas yeah you know so let's talk about the positives let's ask them what it means for them yeah let's ask them what would help and let's think about what we can do. And, and there are loads of things that are really sort of, you know, easy, quick wins that we can do. You know, so, for example, one of the things that really interests me and, you know, we always do at Strategy Now is if we're running training sessions, we provide a bit of a quiet space where people can go. So fortunately, Strategy, we have quite a big room that we use. So we have like our main sort of area for the learning. And then we'll have a few quiet tables just to the side. So that if people need a space to be away from the group, they can go there yeah, and they can still be part of it, you know, because I think, you know, those things can be overwhelming. Um, it's things like, you know, we use Menti a lot as strategy. Um, I think it's a great thing for psychological safety anyway, because I think people can just tell you what they feel without having to say, oh, I think this. Yeah. But I think also it enables people time to think about their responses. So it doesn't have to be an instant, yeah. you know, in that moment. It, it's things about, you know, giving people boxes to keep their desks tidy. If if somebody's got a ADHD, for example, um, you know, be mindful of the fact that their mind is quite busy. So they probably like a few things to be going on at once rather than one project. Yeah. But it's all about the conversation for me. Have that conversation, but have it in a really positive and supportive way. And I think that's my other thing I want to give everybody in a box, Stephen. Um, number one is confidence. Number two is always about, and we've just been talking about this, leaning into those conversations. Yeah. Have those conversations. It's not as bad as you think it's going to be, I promise. Yeah. And I, I really like the, <laughs> the, the couple of bits there about, first of all, let's not stereotype. The, mm. the, this broad spectrums yeah. of if you took ADHD, dyspraxia, etc. Yeah. It's not just one size fits all. You go, ah, yeah, you've got ADHD. Job that, done. That, that fits, <laughs> this will fit for you and cure you. But it, it's one of those ones that um, uh, I, I kind of learned many times over the years that if you, even if you don't understand the topic, ask the person how's it affect them what's the positives as you said and i love the bit there about the positives because we everyone always jumps and thinks oh no what have i got to do to accommodate the colleague rather than actually they've got some wonderful skills that are Absolutely. so enhancing um, to go what's the positives to it uh, and i think that i'm just a great believer of if you could create a safe space and you've built up that emotional bank account i think stephen covey about emotional bank account mm -hmm. but actually 
give that space where you can have a chat and the colleague feels you know I can talk about it I feel um, that actually it's not going to be held against me and those kind of things then you'll come up with a really good sensible solution uh, and it, sometimes it can be the smallest things that make the biggest difference but rather than and I would just say like today don't jump in and assume that's what people need have a chat and you'll be amazed actually what people need to function work well bring bring some really good stuff to work would that would that make all sense yeah it does and I, and I think you know it's a little stuff you know there's a lot of um research talking about people who were neurodiverse in the pandemic working from home felt their working lives improve immeasurably yeah and then suddenly it was like oh come back to the office and it was like oh hang on a minute yeah <laughs> oh you know that feels very different because people were able to operate in their own space they're able to work a bit more flexibly you know as as they have been doing um you know i think one of the things about office working is you know when i when i've gone to strategy it's the first time i've worked in an office probably about for three or four years in all honesty pandemic and and jobs that i've had and you know it's remembering all those social cues again you know um you know like if i, I don't just go make for myself i need to remember to go make a cup of tea yeah. Um, and let's name check them so Rob Jane and Emily who sit with me on my particular yeah. you know set of tables you know but remembering to do all that stuff as well you know that's that's quite the important thing and sometimes you know for people who are neurodiverse it's not as easy to pick up on that stuff yes you know or or trying to judge the cues and I think another thing that we you know we need to do in onboarding somebody who's neurodiverse is let's be really explicit about this is where we go for lunch you know, this yes. is how you get lunch. This is how long you get. All those kind of things, you know, are really important so that people yeah. know the expectation yeah. of what's going to happen. Yeah. And also, I think on that, Helen, that's just good <laughs> workplace etiquette, isn't it? To So anyone on boarding, yeah. anyone new um, to really say, because I remember I've worked in and probably only two real employed companies mm. in my career. Uh, and when I've moved around within those organisations, I felt a different cultural presence when people have really said, Steve, this is where you park the car. This is where, you know, we go and get lunch. This is where tea, coffee is. These are where the toilets are. Absolutely. Really kind of explicit. You go, oh, that, that, that's great. Because they were the ones in my mind as hygiene factors were, were worrying me or niggling yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas then you get the other kind of bits of people you go and join and then there's a book given to you and you kind of got to learn this. And, and you just think, hang on a minute, it doesn't take to good etiquette to help or show, does it? I, I think just just the little things and, and that's, that's a great example of things that help everybody not just people who are neurodiverse yeah. you know I've had jobs where before I've started I've gone for lunch with the team yeah and that was great because that way I already knew them um so before I started at strategy um outside of the interview process I'd been to we have a lot of strategy days um which is where we kind of have a speaker and I'd already met most of the team because I'd been to a strategy day and kind of chatted yeah. with most of them so that when I started on my first day it felt quite comfortable yes you know it was kind of oh hi Emily hi you know yeah. and all the rest of it yeah. Yeah, Emily will love the fact that I've named chapter twice now <laughs> yeah well I was going to say that there's a commission there for Emily I think she'll be writing to me saying Steve, Steve what what commission rights do I get on this Oh dear. But yeah, you know, it's just about the comfort factor. And I think people underestimate how hard it is to be new. 
yeah you know yeah. speaking as somebody who's had a lot of interim jobs I've been new probably more, more than most and I've had some really good experiences and I've certainly had some experiences where I thought um okay <laughs> you know yeah and it was even um to share with you something yesterday I was at um yeah a network meeting I was asked to go along to and I was a bit reluctant I thought oh, that's not really my thing but do you know what I'm going to go I'm, you know I've been asked to go along and do you know what started off though was the email from the colleague before who was organizing it just to say Steve we really welcome you and it was really personal it wasn't a generic kind of just push a button email uh, and then um, they gave me a courtesy call the day before really looking forward to you getting in do you know how to get here do you know where to park etc uh, when I got there yesterday, straight away, um, there's a few people in the room straight over to me. Hello, Steve. Really good. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. it just makes you feel like, oh, this is quite a nice place oh, to be. Oh, it feels OK. Somebody's taught. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we do events and strategy, we work really hard at, at kind of having somebody on the door. You know, we yeah. make sure there's enough parking at the front of the, the offices. And, you know, when people come in, I think it's part of the the experience is probably the word I'm going to use there yes. but I think it's really important that, that we can you know I usually say I'm Helen I'm the one who's been annoying you and emailing you all the time you yeah. know and and just just so it feels you know that that you know a friendly environment and yes and then we've got all our lovely sofas um that people can just curl up on and and yeah. there we go you know it's it kind of feels like a good environment yeah but it also I think um, before we started today as well, we were talking about experience. Mm. Um, and I think in the authentic leadership, in the learning yeah. learning environment, anything we do, the experience is absolutely wonderful. Because I read a really good article the other day about it's easier to be from a human perspective to be negative because of how our brains connect. Yeah. And actually we can remember things uh, negative and we're quite happy to talk about it. That's why we dwell on negative, uh, negativity rather than positivity. So it is hard work to be positive, but if we can make people have a great experience, the positivity is going to grow from that aspect as well. So I just thought it's, it, for me, tied in quite nicely about giving that great experience to people that will create the positivity. I think so. And I think one of the things from a learning point of view that I hang my hat on is accelerated learning principles of David Meyer. And one of the ones that sits in there is positive emotions aid learning and I think I come back to that again and I know we're going slightly off topic but if I could just share the story yes, sorry, yeah. um yeah I was I was once delivering a coaching workshop and this doesn't sound positive to start off with just to be clear uh and I, and I fainted only for about two minutes not not anything dramatic um and I got to the O in the grow model that's really important yeah. <laughs> And I fainted. And the only reason that they knew I'd fainted is because I stopped talking. That was the main thing that they'd realised. But the really interesting thing about that was um, we spent a lot of time kind of laughing about it afterwards because I was OK. I, you know, I, I'd still managed to keep my tea upright as well, which was quite interesting. Um, but that was the workshop they always remembered. And if I said to any of that group, what's the grow model? They they knew it. Yeah. Because that kind of it was an anchor for them you know they were yeah. oh that's the one where you fainted wasn't it and that kind of brought yeah. it out um and it was a positive experience I also fell into a Christmas tree once but that's a whole another, whole other story we'll have that on the next podcast which yeah. is the, the, the version 2.0 coming up with Helen yeah. we'll have we'll have nobody that one to, nobody needs to hear that story more than once yeah that, that's for a separate <laughs> channel we'll have that one um yeah. so just uh, we, you and I touched once before we had a really good chat uh, and we were talking about um, being happier or happiness in the workplace. 
so a, a question um i've got about there is like how can leaders support colleagues to be happier or is happiness good in the workplace or so it's it's probably um i'll hand over to you because we, we had a good debate around it good chat so i'll hand over to you on this about happiness that anybody who knows me at this point is going oh please don't ask about that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so i think uh, where's my position on this i'm going to start by saying later on this year i'm doing a bit of a talk which is called is happiness overrated at work and i don't think happiness is a bad thing i really want to get that out there uh, but what i do think is a concern I think is the obsession with happiness and people being happy all the time. You know, if you think the UN measures it, I think Finland is the happiest place in the world right now. Um, and I'm not so sure that people are happy all the time. Um, you know, I live in Stoke, so um, obviously I'm going to talk about Robbie Williams just for a very short <laughs> second. <laughs> and in his one of his songs, he talks about you have to get high before you taste the lows. And, you know, if you are happy all the time, doesn't that just become the norm and therefore you're not happy? So that's my first kind of thing with it. Um, you know, what what is and also is happiness quite a fleeting emotion anyway? You know, I would say I get happy when Man United win. I get happy uh, when I eat a bag of kettle crisps. You know, it uh, doesn't last that long, if I'm really honest. Yeah. And maybe it's not about happiness. It's about contentment. Yeah. And how can you build lasting contentment? And then my, my other thing around happiness is I think we're really comfortable with people being happy at work because that's easy to deal with. Yeah. Um, I think we're less comfortable with people being upset, yeah. angry, um, just a little bit different to the norm. You know, I could walk into any organisation tomorrow and say, do you know what? I could deliver you a session on how to have a difficult conversation. And they bite my hand off. Yeah. Because those are the ones we feel less comfortable with. But actually, people experience a whole range of emotions at work. Yeah. Um, and because I feel big on the shout outs today, I'm going to give a shout out to Phil Wilcox, who, who runs the Emotion at Work Consultancy. And he has a great video, which is if I should have a workplace. And it talks about being able to express that range of emotions at work and that being OK. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, um, and I, sorry, go on, carry well, on. I was just going to say, and, that, and that's my thing with happiness. I, th I think, yes, absolutely. People who are happier at work are more engaged. They're more likely to demonstrate. Um, ah, I've forgotten the word now. But that extra effort, discretionary effort, there we yeah. go. Um, and I get that. But then I also think people need to be themselves as well. And they need to bring, you know, we talk about now so often about bringing your whole self to work. Um, but doesn't happiness contradict that? Because I, if my whole self is not happy all the time. Yeah. And that isn't my idea, by the way. I need to credit Mark Brackett, um, who talks about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it goes back to, though, I think, um, on there, Helen, about contentment uh, in the workplace. Uh, mm -hmm. And even the work that um, we do that people say, oh, we work in a really happy workplace and it's everyone's, that's not life. That, that's, <laughs> I've never come across and adults disagree on everything every day. 
that's just called constructive conflict that happens yeah, yeah so for example it could be helen and you know i'm looking in, at your background and i go well that's a lovely shade of yellow in the background you may go well actually i think it's a mustard steve we're in a disagreement <laughs> that's conflict but that's just human nature so i think the bit there we, we tried to get and i remember many many years ago in an organization that we had um uh, one of our, my leaders I worked for said, right, we, we need to have more happiness. We need to have more fun. So I'm going to allocate someone head of fun. And it was so <laughs> contrived and painful that actually it made people less happy and kind of had a negative effect or contradictory effect to it. So I, I, I get where you come from more now around actually about contentment at work about bringing the best person or version to themselves and if people aren't happy as in not bringing their best version of themselves or to work or that's where we lean in and have those difficult have conversations, those conversations and talk to them and ask them what's going on in their lives etc uh, one thing that I always say on the kind of the podcast that leaders take the paycheck to be a leader that's not just all for the good times that, bad that's for you too. being people late and the bad times and really expressing and leaning into to kind of colleagues so uh, i think for us for the leaders out there of yes it's the good times you take the paycheck you get all that success but actually majority of the time is about looking after and picking up those emotional kind of points with colleagues as well so you can see that's my brave heart speech then <laughs> yeah i was on i, I was on like one there's then. gonna be a wobbly sword moment now yeah yeah that's literally, <laughs> yeah, i was yeah. gonna get my kilt out i was really going for it then <laughs> oh okay um yeah i just I just wanted to pick up if I could on enforced fun. Um, yeah. I think if you've got to call it fun, it probably isn't. Yes, <laughs> just, yeah. You know, I, I think certainly um, I always used to talk about, I've been talking to this about somebody this morning, actually, team building. Um, so sometimes uh, when I was self-employed, particularly people used to phone me up and say, oh, you do some team building. And I said, what do you want to get out of it? And they'd say, oh, you want to have a nice time. And I'd say, well, you know, go bowling, go for a meal. Yeah. You don't need me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and and I think there's that kind of what was one person's fun is not another person's fun. Yes. And I think you, you know to be to be a very open and honest example. Um, I'm really bad in a social situation. Um, I often describe myself as extroverted for pay, which I kind of nicked off Twitter. I think it's Adam Carpiak who came up with it first. Um, but in a social situation, I'm just not your person for that. And, and so. I quite often, you know, when the team goes out, I'm not that person who goes with him. But that's OK. Yeah. And it's yeah. not a thing, you know, yeah. and I think I think that's really important. Um, yeah, because otherwise I'd be I often describe there was a song in the oh, this is going to date me, probably 80s. I think there was a song by Jonah Louie, which was you would always find me in the kitchen at parties. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't actually be in the kitchen. I'd be under the table in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I would describe yeah. myself. Well, I, I remember going back in my career that because you replicate the people that have gone before you. And so I worked you predominantly did. in the banking industry and it was one of those ones of right, we, we t once a month we have a team meeting. People will go out for drinks, social. It will be that. And I remember, you know, quite often being coming home late at night. It could be and with my wife or partner partner and saying, did you enjoy it? Not really. I stayed because I felt as though I had to stay. Um, and then I replicate it. So there's things that I've got wrong over in my career, you know, yeah. so to say. And then as later on, I thought, I, I don't want to be out socialising. So, so towards my end of my career in the banking world, 
I thought, I don't want to be that. But then it started to get frowned upon of, well, you're antisocial, you don't want to be part of the team and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, I do want to be part of the team, but I don't want to stay out drinking late at night. That's not for me. I've got other things in my life and things I want to do. So we just have to be respectful that everybody's got a different life outside and how people convert and not be funny i like going to bed at nine o'clock so i can't stay oh, out too late too, if i'm really on it <laughs> <laughs> me too if i'm really on it i mean you know yeah. it's a bit of a stretch sometimes when you've yeah. stayed up till half nine but i think you know let's when we talk about fun let's think about a range of things we can do it's not always about the drinking or the bowling or you know my husband went on a team build which is about throwing actors which I think had a potential to lots of things to go wrong there um you know let's think about a range of things we can do and it's not always about the slides and the the trampolines and the you yeah. know all that kind of thing you know let's think about the simple stuff we yeah. carved pumpkins on Halloween last year at strategy yeah um I've never carved a pumpkin before and I dressed up as a pumpkin now there's a site there's a claim to fame so we've got avengers earlier on and now pumpkin lady <laughs> and now so, i've gone to pumpkin lady yeah amazing <laughs> yeah so um if we move into so last couple of questions that we have for today because cool. you, you and i we know can talk for ages we know that absolutely absolutely <laughs> that so um how would you describe the learning experience of strategy solutions what would you what what, do, what would colleagues get from strategy coming along on that kind of stuff we have an acronym that we use, which is reality. We talk about something called reality learning um, and they all just, they, that all stands for things. So it's it's um, relevant, exciting, achievable, lived, um, interesting, transforming and yields value. But the things that, that people should expect, and I sometimes use express and expect the unexpected. And I don't mean that in a scary way. It's a very safe environment. It's a very interactive environment. It's a very informal environment. I think people should expect to have an interactive discussion. They should expect to be doing a lot of things. They might expect a bit of pass the parcel because I do love a spot of pass the parcel in learning development. Uh, it's one of my things. I think they should expect to come away with some really useful tools that they can put away. Um, so we have a leadership academy and one of the things we do with the leadership academy is at the end of every session we ask people, you know, what you're going to take away. And then at the following session, we ask people to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really interesting to see how that has been applied and how they've yeah. used it um, and, and how people start to bring things to the party. So in that in that session at the beginning of the, the learning, I often talk about what I've learned over the last month as well yeah. and share some of that. So I think people should expect it to be informal. They should expect it to be very engaging. And they should come away with some real practical terms. And the yielding val the value is really important to me because for me, the the idea of L&D being pink and fluffy, that, that, that makes me quite cross. Yeah. <laughs> it should add value to their lives yeah. in some way. Yeah. And, and on... because, because otherwise, why have we done it? Yeah. And I love that bit there that when I work with people and that it's not just mm. about the course, it's about life skills. So Absolutely. it's not just I've I've learned this today for seven hours or a week or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I can only use that between nine to five if I use stereotypical dates or times. I can. Yeah. No, no, no. You can use it in your whole of your life as a different change or that kind of thing. And that's why I think um, learning courses, etc., whatever you take from it, whether it's work or home, you're going to take something from it i think so and i think 
you know, I mean, coaching is a great example of something which is a life skill. I think coaching is a, is a conversational technique. You can use that anywhere, apart from with yeah. my husband, apparently, because I tried it once and he went, stop coaching me and stop painting. Um, yeah. But apart from that, it'll probably work most places. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've all been there where we've learned stuff and then go back to our partners or I go back to yeah. my wife and she says to me, Steve, what you, you're trying a new thing out on me. And I go, ah, oh, damn, you've caught me out again. So, uh, yeah, really, really good. So um, uh, a lot of people ask and uh, I get people that say about self-development. So mm-hmm. what, what are you working on for Helen for 2023? What's your personal development or goals, et cetera, for 2023? Um, so I think there are a couple of things that I'm interested in. My, my first goal is to make the L&D out strategy the best it can be. And I think we're on a journey with that in terms of, you know, how we develop that and move that forward. And I'm always kind of looking at things that can help me from a professional point of view. So I do go to a lot of things and sometimes it's just the little things that make me think. Um, I think the other thing that I'm working on quite a lot, I'm doing a lot more speaking outside of outside of my day job if you like at strategy so this being part of it almost as well um and and the thing that's really interesting me at the moment is gen z yeah and the reason gen z because i i seem to have had or been in a room um a lot recently where there have been a lot of discussions about gen z and gen z not necessarily and the way they approach things and it feels to me that there's probably a an ingrained stereotype going on there yes you know there's a lot of chat about you know being quite lazy uh, and I'm not sure that's true and I I think I almost want to debunk the myth so I think that that's probably a topic I'm going to go after this year and 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 kind of explore a bit more because I think it feels to me and, and it's probably part of the inclusion debate for me it feels to me that we're too quick to rush to those things yes yes and actually I'm not sure that's true that's not certainly not my experience of Gen Z yeah. But people kind of hone in on that and, and just it, it's kind of trotted out a bit too easily for me. Yeah. And it's um it's it's labelled too quickly and from that aspect as well. So um some really good development there. And I, I also know that you're very curious and constantly learning <laughs> uh, and wanting uh, kind of um to develop yourself, which is great. And I think that's a real good bit about um uh, you as a person, Helen, about constantly wanting to learn, get better, share your vision, share your stories with mm-hmm. colleagues. Um, and then I think that brings people in to want to work or come to your courses and be because that's what they're going to get. It's someone that's really passionate and wants to do well from that aspect. So hopefully I haven't made you go red or blush there. Uh, well, nobody will be able to see it anyway. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, for that aspect. Uh, and then the last um, bit, which is not a question, but how can people connect with you, Helen? And um, how can they kind of get in touch with you? Anything like that? How can they get hold of you? Well, they can find me at Strategy. So it's Helen at strategysolutions.co.uk. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just be careful. There's a lot of Helen Baileys. Um, I'm the one that's got a lot of posts um, usually. Um, um, and it's Strategy with an I. That's the other thing I have to say. Um, you can find me on Instagram now at H. Louise Bailey, but I'm still learning Instagram. So bear with me. And if you wanted to find me on Twitter, it's also H. Louise Bailey. Um, but there's a lot of Man United stuff on there. So I'll just warn you about that in advance. Yeah. <laughs> but I love I love people coming to talk to me. I love to have a chat, as, as you know, Stephen. I, I'm always up for a coffee and a chat. So please get in touch. Yeah, 
really good too um i found it really great getting to know helen more and more over the kind of months and weeks that we've got to know each other which is great and you get lots of good ideas from helen which is wonderful um uh, so i just want to say a massive thank you today i didn't want to bring any seville oranges along from a man united <laughs> perspective i don't want to do that today to offend you in any way shape or form but um i just want to say thank you very much for being a wonderful guest um and i know our paths will carry on from this book kind of day forward i know that definitely but um helen it's been wonderful and thank you so much for coming along today to inspiring thoughts podcast thank you for having me Stephen.